0: Welcome to the powers that be daily pucks podcast focused on the intersection of wall street washington silicon valley and hollywood and the players who run it all I'm Peter Hamby. It's Thursday, September 1st. The midterm elections are now a little over two months away and signs point to Republicans winning back the House, which means Kevin McCarthy is in line to become the speaker. But Tara Palmieri is here to talk about what happens if Republicans only narrowly win back control. Would that make McCarthy vulnerable to a leadership challenge from the MAGA side of the GOP caucus? And later on, Ben Landy will talk to Bill Cohan about Federal Reserve Chairman Jay Powell snatching away the easy money punch bowl. Can Wall Street sober up and get inflation under control, or will the Fed put the economy into a medically induced coma? We'll hear about all that and more in today's episode of The Powers That Be. So trust me on this one. Visit sleep.me powers to get your chili pad and save up to $315 with code powers. Happy Thursday, everybody. Happy September. Welcome to fall. Uh, we are two months happy from- Happy birthday to me. Is, it's your birthday? Yeah. I didn't September introduce you to to me, by the way, if you're listening, this is Tara Palmieri. It's her birthday. Happy birthday.
1: <laughs> yes, I just interrupted your intro to happy birthday myself. Are you a Leo? No, Virgo, September Well, you got some Leo
0: energy then, because uh, I'm a Leo. Well, happy birthday. I'm glad you're here. Um, you. Before we get to a holiday breather, I want to talk to you, Tara, about control of the U.S. House. The Cook Political Report recently revised their predictions and said, while they think Republicans will still win back the House, they revised down the amount of seats they think they're going to win. The generic ballot... Uh, has moved in Democrats' favor. They're now leading, according to 538. they're now leading on the generic ballot 44.5 to 43.6. This is a midterm year. The president in power typically does poorly in a midterm election. His party does. And now it's like seeming like Republicans might not take back the Senate. And then there's some there's some Democratic bulls out there who think that Democrats might even be able to keep the House. I don't know if that's going to happen. But you've been doing a lot of reporting lately. On Kevin McCarthy, the Republican leader in the House, who would become Speaker of the House if Republicans win. What do Republicans think about their chances of taking back the House? And is McCarthy all but a sure thing to become Speaker? Or if it's closer than expected, might there be some kind of revolt within the ranks and they might not let him be Speaker? What do you think?
1: I think all of these things are possible. Um Kevin McCarthy has to deal with the House Freedom Caucus. He obviously tells donors and members, like, if we don't, if we're not up by 15 seats in the next Congress, then I won't be speaker because there's a very strong contingency of House Freedom Caucus members who who don't think he is conservative enough. And they think he doesn't have a strong mandate. They don't want to see him pulling his punches like he does. Like They would like a more radical speaker someone who represents them. Now, do I think that they have someone in their own ranks that could be leader? No. I know that Kevin McCarthy and Jim Jordan have made an arrangement where Jim Jordan will be the head of the House Judiciary Committee, which is going to be a lot of fun for him (laughs) if he ends up if they actually end up taking back the House because they can spend all of their time investigating Hunter Biden. Right. Yeah. But Um, So there's like some deal making going on. They won't say if they're going to support McCarthy or not for speaker. And they're trying to get some extractions and concessions from him, like subcommittee gavels or Mm -hmm. perhaps, you know, having some rules change. The the smaller the majority that Kevin McCarthy has, the more beholden he is to the extremes of his party, right? Which is giving everyone flashbacks to John Boehner in 2015. Everyone says, Kevin McCarthy might not have a hard time becoming Speaker, but he may have a hard time holding on to that leadership. And in the process of becoming House Majority Leader, which he was when Boehner resigned, and Paul Ryan was sort of plucked by the Freedom Caucus over McCarthy because McCarthy was the House Majority Leader, so you would expect that he would ascend to Speaker when Boehner stepped down, but he didn't. It was Paul Ryan instead, and that was a big part because the House Freedom Caucus was just just going to grow Mm -hmm. because of all these candidates that... Trump um, endorsed in the primaries will likely win their House seats. And I guess think of them as like the MAGA wing of the Congress and how they have a lot of power and they just don't think of McCarthy as MAGA enough. Yeah. I mean,
0: in Alex Burns and Jonathan Martin's book, This Will Not Pass, there's a which covers basically the period from the 2020 election election through January 6th and tracks both parties throughout that time. They they write about McCarthy. It's kind of a, I mean, it's not a flattering portrait of McCarthy. (laughs) You know, everyone sort of thinks he's just a social climber who likes, you know, social media clout. But a big point of their portrait, which, again, comes from a lot of Republicans, maybe on background and off the record, is he's not a guy with a lot of core beliefs. In the Boehner era, at the end of the day, like Boehner was sort of a. Like Grover Norquist, you know, kind of conservative country club Republican in the pre-Trump Republican era, um, and Paul Ryan was definitely that kind of like green eye shade blazer wearing Republican. McCarthy is probably checks the boxes on whatever he needs to check, you know. Like he is, if Donald Trump supports him, he's good. He just wants the power. And if you are someone like Jim Jordan or Louis Gohmert or you know a true believer in the House. Um, I think that makes him even more vulnerable than what you say. Yes, he's already beholden to the right wing of, of the House caucus if he wins by a narrow majority uh, in November. But it's also like, you know, he what does he stand for? I mean, like, do, can you name one thing that Kevin McCarthy has ever planted his flag on on like the policy side?
1: <laughs> he's not really a policy guy, but he is yeah. really good at raising money. And he's Uh good at the glad handing part, which is also really important for being um, a speaker. So that's the flip side of it. Now, there is something that he has been working on for a while, and that has been maintaining a strong relationship with Trump. Yes, Um, I've been told that they spoke as recently as this week. They speak a few times a week. He's got um, one of his staffers, um, Brian Jack, um, who runs his congressional fundraising committee, his Mm -hmm. congressional leadership committee, um, working for Trump. They have a Trump really likes Brian Jack. They have a good relationship. Trump and McCarthy, even despite the tapes that leaked um, after impeachment, when he was sort of slagging off some of the members and talking about what a mess it was, you know, he's managed to keep Trump in his pretty good graces because ultimately Trump could be the one to decide if he's Speaker or not. Like his say is much stronger than any member of the Freedom Caucus. Now, it was pointed out to me that just yesterday, probably because I think people are talking about the anxiety that, Kevin McCarthy will have if his speakership looks this narrow. He did tweet say something, like he tweeted something, sorry, he truthed something basically <laughs> saying that like Kevin McCarthy is a great patriot and it was like as far as you got gotten towards in terms of an endorsement for speaker, he did, mm-hmm. I think a few months ago, he actually endorsed him for his congressional seat, but he didn't go mm-hmm. so far as to endorse him for speaker and he said that, he made that clear. Mm. He's kind of keeping his powder dry too, but at the same time, like, all of the Freedom Caucus members and staffers, everyone that I've spoken to, says, "Well, Trump's in it for McCarthy, so we're probably not going to turn on him." But Trump turns on McCarthy, not good. Right.
0: And you gotta you gotta remember, there's a window between November, like say Republicans win the House, mm-hmm. then in January when they come back together, that's when they have their leadership election, right? Right. So there's a little bit of a gap there, if anything slips or changes. You've uh, also been doing some reporting from inside McCarthy's donor retreat which was recently in Jackson Hole, right?
1: Yeah, it was.
0: So what it what's the like what was the read there? Uh, are they moving in a more pessimistic direction about the size of their incoming majority or was it all rainbows and unicorns?
1: It wasn't rainbows and unicorns and I don't know if rainbows and unicorns motivate donors anyway, so yeah, I don't know. Yeah. He did say Conservatively, 15 seats. If things stay the way they are right now, they'll win 15 seats. So that's not really much of a majority. Yeah. He also acknowledged that abortion is not polling well and that, you know, 70% of Americans want the right to choose, 30% are pro life. Mm -hmm. So for anti-abortion however you want to say it so yeah i mean it was not like it wasn't it wasn't rainbows and butterflies and he also didn't factor in turnout in terms of if trump announces that he's going to run before the midterms although i'm hearing that it's less likely that that's going to happen and like while they were like actually planning an event for trump to announce they've are not doing that right now and there's no plan to in fact it'll probably happen after the midterms at this point but then at the same time everyone who it's close to him. It's like, he could tweet it tonight for all we know. You know what I mean? Like, there's just that, there's always that X factor. And Trump is always the X factor. And really all that McCarthy can do is like, give these members some, some things and keep Trump sweet. It's changed. Things have changed.
0: As much as it feels icky, there's actually not many Republicans you can name who have been better at surfing trump's whims and emotions than kevin mccarthy i mean kevin mccarthy went from condemning donald trump after january 6th to flying to mar-a-lago a a week later and taking a thumbs up picture with him i mean like he is shameless in that respect and so in a sense like you said he's a really good operator so he'll Mm -hmm. be good at quote unquote herding cats as bill frist said but if he's really good at managing his relationship with trump Uh, The last thing I want to ask you is like in that MAGA Freedom Tea Party caucus uh, in the in the House Republican caucus, who who is he closest with? Is it I mean, like, is Steve Scalise still in that crew? I mean, he's the he's the Republican whip um, or is is Scalise now seen as too establishment? Like who who who's McCarthy close with on the on the. Oh, I think
1: Scalise is a rival. Yeah, I think Scalise is someone from his time in the Republican Study Committee might be seen as someone more palatable to Uh the House Freedom Caucus. I think right now, like McCarthy's really trying to make nice with these Freedom Caucus guys, like giving Jim Jordan that post. I would mm-hmm. say maybe Jim Banks ends up being majority whip as a sort of concession as well. Um, mm-hmm. He's he, like they were they were annoyed with him for first backing Liz Cheney. Right. Like, mm-hmm. you know, he, he spared her the first time around, <laughs> spared her <laughs> <laughs> when you say it like that. But you know what I mean? From what she was up against. Uh huh. I think for McCarthy, like he's actually put in a lot of time with Trump and Trump actually really likes him at this point. They have just like a personal report. Cause I always ask yeah. people, I'm like, what's the difference between McCarthy and McConnell? Like what they did was basically the same, right? Don't you think after impeachment?
0: Uh, yeah. I mean, I, well, I think McConnell like stuck to his guns a little bit more. Yeah. And, he and didn't run off separation. to Mar-a-Lago
1: yeah. days later and say, I'm so sorry, you know, right. but the crime, like, and how many people have turned on Trump and haven't been able to get back in into the inner circle right Mm -hmm. i just he's there was definitely like a tense stretch i think for mccarthy and trump you know trump compartmentalized it and i think he also probably realizes if he's going to run for president himself like it wouldn't really be the time to pick the speaker of the house right i think he's probably just thinking i'll ride it out with mccarthy
0: yeah. I mean, it's interesting you say that Trump has sort of like put the run for office thing on ice for a bit. I mean, I feel like one month ago, this gossip was percolating everywhere that Trump was going to announce before the midterms. Um, yes, you, he might just he might truth something out, <laughs> but yeah. it does feel like that has uh, sort of been put on pause for the minute. He's definitely
1: the preoccupied. There's something to be said for that. I mean,
0: <laughs> yes, yes he, Seriously. yes, he
1: is. And he's already dominating the conversation so much for Republicans. I mean, I can't.
0: Well that was the issue was in the course of that conversation the idea that Trump felt like he wasn't getting enough attention <laughs> you know his insecurity was flaring and now with the you know FBI classified document thing he is you know he might be in legal jeopardy but he's back in the center of the conversation and maybe that's made him reevaluate announcing before the midterms
1: Yeah, because ultimately that's where he wants to be at the center of the conversation. And I do think he thinks that the Republican Party has coalesced around him because of this. Uh Exactly. That's right.
0: All right, Tara. Well, enjoy your birthday and have a great holiday weekend. Coming up, Ben and Bill are here to read the Federal Reserve tea leaves. Quick math. By popular demand, Netsuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com/powers-that-be. netsuite.com/powers-that-be. That's netsuite.com/powers-that-be. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best—it's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder.
2: Welcome back. I'm Ben Landy, executive editor at Puck, joined here today by Bill Cohan who I assume is here to tell me why I should have sold out of my position in bed, bath, and beyond.
3: Well, first of all, Ben, it's always nice to be on with you. And as you know, we don't provide investment advice here at Puck. So I could have given you some thoughts, but you know, you were free to do whatever you wanted because it's not investment advice.
2: It's all in the blind trust anyway. But no, what I, what I really wanted to talk to you about is Jerome Powell. J. Powell. J. Powell to his friends the Fed chairman, who has been signaling to markets for some time now that a steep market correction is needed to get inflation under control. And investors are sort of kind of getting the message. Um, And then they forget again. And inflation looks like it's cooling off and stocks rip, which we saw. And then they dropped again when Powell got out at uh, Jackson Hole and made a little speech. What does he need to do to get the attention of markets? Set himself on fire?
3: Uh, Look, there's no uh, constituency for um, markets falling, interest rates increasing. So, you know, who likes that? People like it when the market goes up. They like it when money is uh, uh, free or close to free. Now, people on fixed incomes, people who have retired, people who uh, rely on uh, interest uh, on bonds to, you know, pay their bills and live, you know, they like it. Uh, they've, they've been screwed uh, for the last 13 years, and they like it when uh, interest rates increase because they get a higher rate of interest. But, you know, the vast majority of people like free money and uh, increasing uh, stock uh, market pricing and increases in their portfolio, even though, of course, if you're clever, you can make a lot of money, uh, or as much money or even more, um, infinite amounts of money. If, or, or what seem like infinite amounts of money, uh, if you bet correctly, when the stock market is going down or when bonds are, are going down, that's sophisticated stuff and scary. So, you know, Jay Powell has, um, problem that in the past when he's talked about, increasing rates and then actually doing it like in 2018 somehow in february of 2019 uh donald trump had dinner with him and uh, got him to reverse course we still don't know what happened at that dinner we'd love to know what happened at that uh dinner but he did reverse course and unwound the interest rate increases that he made and then of course in the pandemic did it all again So, you know, does he have credibility to actually uh, do what he says he's going to do? You know, again, I feel like this time it will be different because he's already gotten his second term. He's not going to get a third. You know, I think he realizes now that inflation is not transitory and it's for real. And he's got to do something about it because uh, after all, that is one of the two you know mandates of the fed or or one of the two mandates that they you know pretend to be the mandates of the fed <clears throat> even though the fed can pretty much do whatever it wants whenever it needs to so i think that's what he's up against and even though the inflation numbers looked slightly better last month you know people went nuts and pretended that the the interest rate increases were over or might be over or might be slowing down and so uh, our buddy had to jerk uh, investors back to reality uh, in Jackson Hole uh, last week. So that's what he did.
2: Yeah, one thing that's funny about the Fed is that obviously they can go into the market and manipulate rates by changing the uh, the, the window for interest rates or buying bonds on the market. But also there's this um, expectation setting that the Fed chairman does just in terms of the word choice that they use people like to call this, Fed speak. So, what were some of the things, some of the words that Powell used at Jackson Hole that got investors so spooked?
3: Pain. pain. that's, that's probably a good one. The, no, <laughs> families are going to experience pain. Investors didn't like that. No. I mean, and we're going to be vigilant about fighting inflation, and that means raising interest rates, and there's going to be pain for uh, American families. And- All that's true. And by the way, uh, it's all as a result of the previous 13 years of Fed policy, uh, which, you know, was way, way, way out on a limb, many standard deviations away from the norm. You know, in part, I get why they had to do quantitative easing, one, two, three, four, ad nauseum. I mean, I think there was... Uh, it was very creative, uh, very clever, and some limited amount of quantitative easing uh, was justifiable. But to just let it go on and on and on for 13 years, frankly, is um, is reprehensible. And manipulated uh, interest rates into a place where now, you know, we have to pay the price. So instead of you know taking the punch bowl away. When the party's getting started, which is the Fed's mandate, according to a former Fed chairman, William McChesney Martin, the Fed, under the last three Fed chairmen, has have been literally pouring tequila into the punch bowl uh, with no mixer, just straight tequila. So, you know, it's been a party, and now the party's over.
2: Do you think that some of this signaling by Powell is kind of bullshit on some level? Like, he used the word pain. Walsh didn't like that. The, the markets dropped down again. And he invoked Paul Volcker, his uh, predecessor, during the Carter era. But Volcker got inflation under control by absolutely crushing the economy. I mean, he raised rates up to like 20% or something. You could tell me the exact number. But we're nowhere near there. And I wonder if this is just sort of signaling on some level or if this actually indicates how far we think Powell might really go.
3: Um. Jay Powell has not consulted with me. Uh, I have to stipulate that for listeners. I've never spoken to him in my life. I, I once spoke to Ben Bernanke, and uh, he got angry at me for suggesting that their policy was flawed uh, and that quantitative easing was somehow, uh, you know, not the greatest thing in the world to continue to do uh, after it its first benefits were achieved and had added to the mispricing of risk uh, across the board, across assets, and it created all these asset bubbles. So obviously, uh, the Fed gestalt is not to take blame for these kinds of things. But yeah, so I mean, I think uh, a lot of uh, Fed communication is, uh, uh, you know, sort of a, a magician's act, uh, smoke and mirrors. uh pay no attention to the man behind the curtain, kinds of things. Um, you know, in is very much signaling and uh, without giving too much away, he, I think he's trying to set the groundwork for a major financial correction uh, in the financial markets, or at least to get the financial markets less euphoric, driving up interest cost on the riskiest assets uh, so, you know, he's jawboning interest rates up, uh, even though, you know, the Fed fund rates are still, you know, targeted to two and a quarter, two and a half percent and still have a long way to go before real interest rates are positive. And so that's what Volcker did. He made real interest rates positive by jacking up the Fed funds rate to, you know, 15 percent plus, uh, which made all interest rates much higher. Uh, he could be sowing the seeds you know, for a huge rally in, in the bond market. Uh, the bond market has basically been uninvestable for a long time since QE started and Zerp started. And you know, this is in effect uh, making the bond market investable again, which is probably a good thing, but uh, is definitely a good thing. But there's going to be a lot of pain for all the people who missed uh, priced risk in the last 13 years.
2: Well, thanks, Bill. That's terrifying and i'm not going to look at my 401k again until you tell me it's safe but thanks for stopping by appreciate it as always
0: thanks so much for listening to another episode of the powers that be as a reminder the powers that be is the official podcast of puck we'd like to thank ben landy liz goff and alex bigler for their editorial and production guidance if you like what you hear please share with a friend really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only puck can offer Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Peter Hamby. See you tomorrow. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, and Chris Corcoran, chief content officer and founding partner of Cadence 13.